out God knows everything. He's omniscient. Someone says, ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? <laughs> he never is surprised. He's never like, oh, I didn't see that coming. He, he, he knows everything. He sees everything in one frame. We see what happened yesterday. We're, we experience what happened today. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. God already knows what happened tomorrow. So he, he already has provision for things. And that's one of the things that blesses my heart about God is I can trust him to know that he's providential. He, he's, got, he's got my future. I don't have to worry about it. You know, I think six times in the, in the, um, in the um, Sermon on the Mount, he said, take no thought. Take no thought of your fashion or your food. Because if I can feed the sparrows, I'll feed you. If I can clothe the, the lilies, I can clothe you. He said, don't, don't take any thought of tomorrow. For the sufficient days of evil thereof. He said, I got this. It's a wonderful thing to serve a God that you can trust. And he's, he's, he, whenever you get to a problem, you're like, I don't know about that. Well, God's going to be there. And our responsibility is to be in the will of God, so we'll do the plan of God. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And they prayed in their prayer. They prayed with praise. They, they referenced previous scriptures. They rested in the providence of God. They understood and recognized that. And then I, I think the, the beautiful thing at the end, they petitioned. Not that God would take them out of their suffering, out of the persecution, but that God would give them boldness to speak. One thing about the early church you'll see is they were a speaking church. He said, we cannot but speak of the things which we've seen and heard. Give us boldness to speak. Uh, the Apostle Paul later on would say uh, to them, pray that God would give me boldness to preach the gospel, to speak the things and it's very important. You and I, we need to be soul-winning people. We need to be talking to people about Christ. And uh, it's good to live the Christian life, and you should, and we should be very loud in our witness uh, of good works and, and things of that nature. But we also ought to take opportunities to talk to people about the Lord and give them a gospel track. See where they are engaged, how far they'll go with you in the, in the conversation. And if they don't, you can just leave it. You never can underestimate the power of a seed. Say that with me. You'll never underestimate just a moment speaking about Christ, talking to someone about the Lord. I think it's extremely important we not forget that. But it was a speaking church. It was, a, and soul winning is what they were doing. It was a praying church, and they prayed. And they saw problems, and they prayed. When you see a problem, what do we do? We ought to pray. And we ought to pray with praise. We ought to pray with scripture. We ought to pray in understanding that God already knows and he's going to take care of things. And we ought to pray with petition. God, give us boldness to use the situation for your eternal work and glory. Well, while they prayed, let's look and see what happened. If we could please in Acts chapter 41, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they assembled together and they, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And certainly God answered that prayer. And we see a great church here was marked by prayer. Next week I'll speak a little bit about the church. And do you think the early church, good church or bad church? It was a good church. They were new and they were growing, but you know they had problems. Every good church is going to have some problems. They had people that were saying one thing. They brought their offerings. Oh, yeah, we sold this much. And, 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 and boy, they, they were lying. Lying to God, lying to the congregation, lying to the Holy Ghost. God dealt with them. In a good church, they had 
arguments and every problem that we have in a, in a local church is going to go under two different areas, social problems or structural problems. They're going to be social problems, some kind of problem we have one with another. Or something's not organized well, and because of that, it's, it doesn't meet someone's criteria or someone else's perspective. And, of course, we see that in chapter 6. We'll talk about that less, next week. But let me tell you, problems in the church are as age-old as there are churches. <laughs> These things are not, they're not, they're not surprising to God. They're not surprising to us. We have human beings. We live in a fallen world. We're a fallen church to some extent in regards to individuals. And we're going to have structural problems. We're going to have social problems. There are some folks who say, well, I think you ought to do this in nursery. I think you ought to do this. Well, it's a structural problem. And it's an opinion. A lot of subjectivity and what needs to happen. Well, if I were you, I would do this. And, 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 and the problem is, you're not me. <laughs> and I'm not you. Well, if I was a superintendent, I would have done it this way. Well, that's, that's your opinion. And there are some things that structurally that we can all work with. But almost every problem you have. But in good churches and sorry churches, you're still going to have problems. And uh, it's not, it does, it, these, this early church, you would think, oh, man, it must be a glowing place. Everybody must have been just practically perfect. No. God shows us the good, bad, and the ugly in this situation. But he does show us here that when these people prayed, that the place where they were there was shaken. Now, it's a very unique thing. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it was an emotional uh, movement of, uh, of, of people and a spiritual movement. I don't know if the building started shaking like an earthquake. I don't know. And I don't think it, it's just, I don't think it matters too much, quite frankly, whether that happened. But he said the place was shaken. And then there was a couple other things that happened. We see that, that not only they were assembled together, there was unity. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And as a result of filling the Holy Ghost, would you look at that? And they did what? Spake. Once again, you'll see the word spake. And speak is mentioned three or four times in this passage of Scripture. They spake the word of God. How? Without embarrassment, without holding back. Then the verse, verse says, verse number 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. You see a unity there. They were pulling the same rope together. And boy, the devil, his, one of his uh, challenges is to get discord, get people pulling different directions. Instead of pulling with the Lord and with the, the trajectory that God has put for a particular people, we got people pulling on the sideway. We had on Thursday night a big tug of war there. But you'd had all kinds of problems. You've got a couple of people just saying, I'm not pulling this way, I'm pulling this way. Well, you'd have all kinds. You'd have some stumbling, you'd have some falling, you'd have, you'd have a counterproductive uh, situation going on. And that happens sometimes in, in a work with God. People start pulling in a different direction. We said, but these folks were all of one heart. They were one soul. They were unified, working together. And great churches are speaking churches. They're soul-winning churches. They're going to be praying churches. They'll be unified churches. They'll be spirit-filled churches. Let's see what else the Bible tells us in verse 32. Neither said any of them that ought, ought the things that he possessed was his own. And they had all things common. There was a great love and a generosity. Read verse 33 with me, would you please? And with great... I don't know what I would like to name a church if I ever started. I don't have the guts to start a church myself, but if I ever did, I like the name Great Grace Baptist Church. <laughs> I think it'd be a great, a great church, great name for a church, Great Grace. He said, boy, this, this church had great grace. The God's power 
was, was on them, the Spirit of God rests upon them, and there was great grace obvious to the most casual observer, and the preachers begin to preach more of the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ, which is the gospel, which brings people to Christ. I was thinking this morning as I was watching people get saved, and um, just watching tears come down people's face, and they accept the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and even before the invitation, just say, yo, I know I need to get saved. I know this need to, I had people in the other, in the, in the visitor welcome said, I got saved this morning, or I got saved on Thursday. And they were glad to share their gospel, share the fact that they trusted the Lord. It's a beautiful thing, but that happens when the word of God is preached, either in public or one-on-one with another brother and sister. Everybody needs to be a preacher of the gospel and getting the gospel out. Well, let's look and see what happens here. Verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as they were possessors of the lands and houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. I will say this is a little bit of, a, uh, little bit of an attempt of a, of a community uh, per somewhat. I don't think that's what God wants to do. I think for this time, though, if you could imagine the rapid growth of the church and the suffering of people. We've talked about this before. There were people who were disinherited immediately upon getting saved and baptized. There were widows who stayed with their adult kids who were kicked out on the street because they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a lot of pressure put on that early church at that time because of the people got fired because their boss found out they got saved and they came to, to faith in Jesus Christ and they fired them. So automatically, if you went from 120 to 3,120 to maybe as many as 8,120 in just a few weeks, it seems, a few, maybe a few months, very rapidly, this little small group of people had a lot of pressure and that pressure fell upon uh, the apostles primarily and it looks like to me that God infused people to say, listen, I have this house over here by the, by the, by the beach. We'll sell that. And let's give it. And, of course, that brought up other people doing the same thing, like Ananias and Sapphira. And, and uh, there, there began to be a love and a corporate care for the people around them. Every once in a while you'll find someone say, that's what everybody should. We, ought, we shouldn't have anything we just sell and just give. And I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I think there are times when God will impress your heart, my heart, to do and get out there on the limb. And uh, someone said, get out on the limb, that's where the fruit is. But uh, it's scary out there. It's risk-taking out there. But occasionally, but in this case, I think it was because of the heavy uh, need that was there. And they said, hey, you know, Pastor, Pastor Peter and Pastor James and John, look, we got some extra money. Here, you take it. You know what the needs are. I don't know. I know you're getting people every day telling you they have hurt and needs, and this guy lost his job, and this family doesn't have food, and this widow's out on the street, and this, this, uh, this young man was disinherited and kicked out of his family, and someone's got to take care of him. You guys take care of this. And all of a sudden, you see people who had means dealt with it quickly, and they began to give that, and it, it brought great joy. But the Bible tells us about one man who especially started that. He was a Levite. That's kind of interesting to know, but let's look at real quickly verse number 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, this is interesting here. God begins to introduce us to a man that his nickname is Barnabas. His real name is Joseph, but 
The brothers and sisters in church named him Barnabas by a nickname. How many of you have a nickname in your home or your family? People call you a nickname. It's not your name. This was not his name. Barnabas was not his name. But the word Barnabas uh, was the son of consolation. It means he's the son of an encourager. He is, the, he is someone who comforts and encourages. He's a very unique character in the Bible. And I think First Baptist Church... If there's any one person that would typify the average member of our church, I think Barnabas does. There's not everybody gets to preach in front of hundreds or even scores of people every week. Not everybody is going to work on full-time staff. Not everybody's going to teach at the college. Not everybody's going to teach at Hammond Baptist or City Baptist. Not everybody will have special gifts. You know, but everybody can be a Barnabas. Everybody can help somebody. I would not have, um, I don't pick who necessarily comes and in, 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 uh, reads the scripture, but I could not think of a better person to read the scripture tonight on this story of Barnabas than Brother Tim Ray. But I say that, I can't think of anyone better, but I can think about 25 other people that come to my mind right away that could do equally this church is full of people that seek to encourage others. I don't think it's something, a new phenomenon. I think it's probably been throughout the history of our church. People who come along and make a good thing better. They do some very strategic things to bless the house of God. And Barnabas is a unique guy. You see him in the scripture several places. You'll see him in, uh, in chapter Nine, you'll see him here. And he seems to have maybe been the one. Now, he was from Cyprus, which is an island. He was somebody who, uh, who was a Levite. Now, the Levites, as a general rule in the law, they were not to have their own property. They were to do God's bidding. But, but really, at this time, I don't know that necessarily he was breaking that. But the Bible does make note that he was a Levite. And, and he, he said, you know what? I'm going to sell my property, and I'm going to give it to help people. And that started something, we'll see that in chapter 5, it started something other people caught on to, and other people began to give and say, you know what, if I can help, I'm going to help in this way. And he began to do that. I want you to notice a couple things that I think impressed me about Barnabas. I don't think it'll be long, but I want to share this with you. I think number one, Barnabas blessed the work of God because he provided leadership. He stood up and said, you know what, here's, here's something I can do. The leadership, as I mentioned the other day about the local church, there's no individual member that's insignificant. There's also no member that's irreplaceable. Any of us can, can fall off the planet today and the church will march on tomorrow. But everyone is significant. Everybody matters. The bus child matters. The mission men matter. The ladies matter. The men matter. The teens matter. The kids matter. The senior adults matter. Everybody is significant in the house of God. But none of us are irreplaceable. We learned that. We also learned that there were staples of the local church, and that was prayer. That was the word of God that was witnessing. I don't think you can read the book of Acts and not see the lessons of those three things. There was prayer. There was the word of God being put forth. There was fellowship among the brethren. There was people giving the gospel. And there was a revolving attention to the person of Jesus Christ, even though he was not there bodily. Great staples for the Christian life. But I think also the structure revolves around three things. If you'll remind me with them, number one is lordship. Number two is leadership. 
And number three is partnership. Can you say them with me again? Lordship, leadership. One more time, if you don't mind. That's what a church is. That, that is its structure. It's the lordship of Jesus. He's the head. It's the leadership underneath the direction of the Lord Jesus. That's the leaders. And then it is the partnership of all of us working together. Someone said it, it takes uh, teamwork to make the dream work. Everybody's got to be a partner. You've got to have a plan. You've got to be say, where, where's, where do I play here? What do I need to do? What can I do to make this better? And boy, we've, we've seen that in, 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 in the last several weeks in unbelievable fashion. But I love Barnabas because he provided leadership. He brought some leadership to the table. He said, you know what? I, I, I'm one, but I can do something. And it's, it's interesting to me, when someone steps up to do something, other people want to do the same thing. And it's so important that all of us find our role. And, and you want to encourage the work of God? Get involved. Don't just watch the world go by. Now, I know we have time limitations. We have financial responsibilities. We have challenges. But most everybody, we can do more than we think we can do. It needs to be a commitment. There needs to be someone to step up and say, you know, I'm going to provide some leadership. And you know what provides leadership? Your presence and your participation. Getting involved. I thank God whenever I see, I see some of our security men, and there's new men being trained as we speak to work on security. I thank God for that. We've got, uh, I think, six, six men and two ladies in preparation to drive a bus for this fall. They're learning how to get their license and take, the, take care of that. That's That's good. There's a new man in our church. He got, uh, came to the Lord, and his wife got saved a few, few uh, couple years ago, and now they're getting ready to become Sunday school teachers. Gone through discipleship and growing. They're ready to be Sunday school teachers. You know, there ought to be continually people step up and say, you know what, this is what God wants me to do. There's leadership. I think, I think Barnabas was blessed with the blessing. He brought encouragement to the church because he brought leadership. Number two, he was benevolent. He was a giving person. You can make a living in, in, you can make a living by what you get, but you make a life in what you give. And I'll tell you, I, I, I find this to be very important. You're going to find, if you look at the scriptures, I think you're going to find a parallel between successful, blessed Christians and generosity. I think you'll see it. I think you have to do it to experience it personally. But I think we find that, 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 uh, that uh, Barnabas was a giving for, we sold land and he gave it. I think you can bless the work of God, and, and this church has been so blessed. We're getting ready to, to get our refinancing done. I'm very excited about that. I'll be able to tell you more about that on Wednesday night. I'm excited about that possibility. And the Lord has done amazing things for us. He has helped us supernaturally. But he's helped us because of giving people that sit right here in this room. I don't know who you are. I don't know your generosity, but I will tell you this. People who give, they ought to give generously. I think they ought to give regularly. People who give systematically give more substantially. I think we ought to give cheerfully. Once again, I'm not trying to get you to do something for this church. I'm like, I want God to do something through you. I believe in tithing. I believe in giving an offering beyond that. I think it's something God will honor. But I see this, young, this man right here. He brought encouragement, not only because he brought leadership, but he was benevolent. He was a giving person. I want you to notice a couple things, if you would, please. Look at chapter 9, if you would. He helped people that no one else wanted to help at the time. Who was that person that comes to your mind? Who did he help that no one else wanted to help at the time? Saul, yeah. 
Saul had, had been breathing out threatenings, had wreaked havoc in the church of Christ, and now he comes to know the Lord as his Savior, and no one wants to touch him. They don't think he's, they don't think he's gonna, he's, they think it's a trick. Look and see what happens, if you would please, in chapter 9, if you would, and look at verse number 23. And after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill, they wanted to kill him early on in his, in his, his conversion. By the way, the devil likes to do that. He likes to, he likes to have infant fatality, kill new babies, kill, uh, kill abortions important for the, for the devil, and so is killing new Christians. But their, but their lying in wait was known of Saul. So Saul found out they were trying, to, they were trying to, to attack him. And they watched at the gates day and night to kill him. They were waiting for him when he goes out the gates. Look at verse number 25. Read it with me in chapter 9. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down. They, they had to outsmart him. Couldn't go to the gates, so they put him down the wall in a basket and put him down and let him go in the middle of the night. Look, if you would please, in verse number 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. That means it was if his mindset he was going to go and, and become, become in the fellowship of the disciples there in Jerusalem. But they were all what? Afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Who? He took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him how that he had seen the Lord in this way and that he had spoken to them and how he had preached boldly at Damascus the, same, the name of Jesus. And he was with them at the coming in, the going out of Jerusalem. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians that they, might, they went about to slay him. And uh, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and they, and they sent him forth to Tarshish. They still were nervous about him because obviously he went back to Jerusalem and he probably saw or Mrs. Stephen saw him. She's a widow now. Mr. Stephen's kids are running around. He killed their daddy. He was there. He, he was the one they, that, that voted that they would kill him. They put, his, they put the coats down at his feet. People are like saying, yeah, you know, maybe you are saved, but you don't have, I don't mind having you here. You don't have to go to church with me. You don't have to be in, in with us. Maybe, you're, maybe you have changed, I don't know. But after a while, they said, you know, I think it would be better for you to leave Jerusalem and go up to Tarshish and spend some time there in your hometown. But we see that one man stepped in and said, hey, listen, I've seen it. God's working on him. Let's do this right here. You know, I, I, would, I would say you can bless the church of God by loving people that other people are having a hard time loving. It's, it's very easy to throw accusations, very th easy to, to just be with people that you're comfortable with. But reaching out and loving everybody, that's another challenge. That's a Christ-like challenge that's really helpful to the house of God. And all of us have to be careful. It's so easy that we offend someone in our words or our actions. This week I was talking to someone, and they, and they mentioned something to me, and, and uh, they said, you know what, Pastor, I think you're right about that. I didn't see that. You're right. I want to get that fixed. So humbly, quickly saw, you know what, Pastor, you don't have to say anymore. I'm wrong on that. I, I didn't put that, I didn't connect the dots here. I'll get that fixed. I need to go talk to that person. I don't want to, I don't want to find a beautiful testimony. But I say to you, uh, Barnabases, they contribute encouragement by bringing some leadership. They contribute encouragement by learning to give generously and give cheerfully and readily and steadily. They give they give leadership by, by taking a risk and, and bringing other people along, building others in this way. 
I think it's interesting. The church of Jerusalem now is where all it's happening. But there's noise that up in Antioch, remember what happened in Antioch? The Christians were first called at Antioch. And Antioch seems like there was something going on up there, and the, and the disciples, they didn't, they, they didn't, or the disciples didn't go, but they sent him. Let's look at chapter 11, if we can, please, and let's see this attribute here. I love the fact that Barnabas is someone who brought blessing and encouragement to others. Look, if you would, please, at chapter 11, verse number 19. Now, when they were scattered abroad, the persecution arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and to Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but only the Jews only. And some of them that were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, were, which when they were of Antioch to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now the Greeks are getting wind of this, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And great number of believed and turned to the Lord. Then the tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, was that Jerusalem, and they sent forth whom? That he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came, had seen, what did he see? By the way, the grace of God can be seen. It's usually through challenging things, but it can be seen. And you and I ought to be good mirrors of the grace of God. When someone looks at us, they ought to see, that girl's got the grace of God on her. That person's being helped by God. They remind me of Jesus. He said, when they saw the grace of God, when he saw it, he saw it on the people there in Antioch. Notice what happens in verse number 23. Was glad and exhorted them with the purpose of heart that they would cleave unto the Lord. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added to the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to start to Tarshish to seek for Saul. So he goes up there and he sees that the grace of God's on them. He's a good man. He's full of the Holy Ghost. He's happy to see God working in people that were not like him. He is a Levite. He's a Jew. These people from other places, Cyrene and other places, and they're coming from a different paradigm. And people were questioning about it. He goes up and sees it. No, no, this is God. God's working in their life. And he was glad because he was full of the Holy Ghost. And then he said, you know what they need? They need a leader. It's time. He's like the men of Issachar, understanding the times, knowing what Israel ought to do. He understood, okay, now here is the time. You know, this is interesting. The apostle Paul, when he got saved in Damascus, he preached there. He's put down the wall. They went to Jerusalem. They didn't, re they didn't accept him. He had, to, he had to put his big boy britches on and deal with that. Then he went back to Tarshish possibly in Arabia for three years, according to some of the other Pauline epistles, being trained and reprogrammed by the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, it sometimes takes a time to raise strong disciples. I think Jesus was, he's three and a half years with his disciples. Seemed like to me after his baptism, he could have went to the cross and done what he needed to do. But you know, the truth of the matter is, he needed to train others. Are, are we training somebody? Are you training someone? Someone being helped by you on a weekly basis? Are you texting? You're writing notes? You're calling? Are you having Bible studies? Are you doing discipleship? Everybody ought to have somebody. I remember years ago, Brother Charles Hand was responsible for many people coming to Christ in Northwest region years ago as our assistant pastor. I remember him telling me something one time as a young pastor. He said, John, make someone else's spiritual maturity your personal responsibility. You can't grow anybody. But you can do your best to make someone else's spiritual maturity your personal responsibility. I love that about Barnabas. Barnabas went there and he saw what God was doing. He said, you know who they need? 
They need Saul, and it's time. He's ready. And he went to Tarshish to find him and brought him back to that town. And then, of course, he and Saul together would be the first missionaries to lead the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 13. One more thing I want you to notice. He not only built other people, he brought leadership, he was benevolent as giving, but he bonded people to the Lord Jesus Christ. For sake of time, I won't go through this, but I want to just tell you quickly the story. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas go on their first missionary journey. They go Paul and Barnabas and a young man named John Mark. It's Barnabas' nephew. He actually wrote the book of Mark. His mother was a sister to Barnabas. So they went out, but whenever they went out, it got uncomfortable, frustrated. I don't know what happened, but John Mark said, you know, I'm going home. It's interesting, it happened after the Holy Spirit makes obvious in the book of Acts. It was, it was Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. The first time you see it is Paul and Barnabas in the reverse order. When it looks like God gave Paul the authority, the next verse, John Mark leaves. Now, I don't know exactly what happened there, and I can't, I'm not, it's just, it's a little bit uh, uh, just my opinion. But I think that John Mark was fine as long as Uncle Barnabas was in charge. But when Paul was in charge, Barnabas was good. Barnabas was willing to play second fiddle for the glory of God and the good of the institution. But John Mark probably thought to himself, you know, I'm not doing that. And I think that's why Paul had a real hard time with taking him back on that second journey, in my opinion, because he felt disloyalty. He felt, he can't work with me. He left and went home for whatever reason. Now they come back to the church and they report everything. There is the, all the things going on. Now it's time, and they have a Jerusalem council, it looks like to me, and then they, then they head out again. Let's go. Let's go back and confirm the works. And Barnabas says, I'm good. I'm good to go. And Paul says, okay, let's get ready to go. Hey, we're going to take John Mark. He says, no, we're not. I'm not taking John Mark. He said, no, we're going to take John Mark. Now listen, he, you know, he can fail and not be a failure. You know, failure is an event, not a person. I'm sure, I don't know if he said that, but that's a good idea. I would have said it if I was Barnabas. He said, come on, man, let's go. We, you know, we can do it. You know, you know, he's young and he has some weakness, but he's going to do good. And boy, Paul stuck to his guns. And the contention got so serious that they separated. And Barnabas, I think in this situation, I don't know exactly, I would think that probably um, Paul was wrong. And Barnabas was right. I think if Jesus had his way right then, he would probably would have said, Barnabas, you're right, Paul. Knock it off. Take this kid and let's go. But sometimes spiritual leaders are strong in areas they should be strong in. Can we say we make mistakes? There may not be malicious mistakes, but they're just what what, what spiritual leaders do. Paul was probably wrong. Barnabas was probably right, if you, if you ask me. But, the, but we see that Barnabas, and he may, it's the last time you'll see him on the pages of scriptures, except for when Paul mentions him in the, in the Gospels of, of Colossae and of Colossians and, and uh, a couple other places. But you know what we see there, the contention was so strong, Paul said, you know, I'll take Silas and you can take your little nephew and babysit him. And he went and took him and they went, off to, they went off and they went to they went, went and seen other places. 
I think it's a beautiful thing, though, to see how he bonds people together. And it takes little babies to pull things apart. You want to make a mess? Let a baby touch it. It's going to, go, it's going to get tore up. Take a roll of toilet paper. Give it to a baby. What's going to happen? It's going to be all over the place. Any, anything you put together, you're going to see you're going to tear them down. But it's, it's something about mature Christians to say, you know what, what can we do? Maybe we've got lemons. Let's make lemonade. Maybe this isn't the best way, but let's just keep going. We can see the Apostle Paul later. He said to, on his, on his, in his jail cell, in his last jail cell, he would never see the light of day. He said, go get John Mark. He needs to know he's proper for me. We see Barnabas is already there ahead of time. I want to encourage you. You know, I, I, I want to say these things, and I'll close with these. Barnabas, number one, he helped those who were different than him. Number two, he helped those uh, with no one else wanted to help. He was willing to give others a second chance, give them the benefit of the doubt. He also helped those who eclipsed him. Eclipsed him. They, they did better than Paul. You know, I don't think had there not been a Barnabas, you probably would have a hard time finding Ephesians in your Bible. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Philemon. If there wasn't a Barnabas to push Paul up and to help him, I don't know if there wasn't a Barnabas, there would be a book of Mark. Because it was John Mark who got the information to, to write there under, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the book of Mark. I'm telling you, friends, there are people all over the globe that have been blessed because Barnabas is in this room. And there can be more people blessed if we'll step up and be benevolent, we'll bring leadership, we'll bond people, we'll build leaders, we'll build others up and not tear them down. Barnabas, to me, is one of the greatest Christians in our Bible. And we got a lot of them here. How about, uh, how about all of us say, God, with, with your help, let me be a Barney. Not Barney Fife, but Barnabas. Let me be somebody who will take a risk on people, who will give people the benefit of the doubt, who will love deeply even though people have fallen, who will want to restore and bond them. Do you, are you thinking about somebody?